for welcoming him with the hope that he would be an earthly king who would ultimately bring deliverance to the people of Israel from the hand of the Romans who were uh, occupying the land of Israel and, and particularly there in Jerusalem. And so they cried out as he entered the city, Hosanna, save, Lord, save. Um, And they put down the palms and they were anticipating him now in the days ahead to begin to rally the nation and to bring them together for the purpose of overthrowing Roman rule. And they were actually anticipating the idea that he was going to be raising an army and they were going to march against the Romans. They were very confident that he could do that, and he would be able to provide an incredible advantage to the Israelites because they knew he could raise the dead. And if you can raise soldiers who are killed in battle, the enemy can't conquer you. And he could take the fishes and the loaves, just a handful of them, And he could turn them into enough food to feed thousands. And one of the the key issues for any army that was moving in that day was how to keep them fed. And so they're looking at him with this anticipation. But he doesn't come as many would have hoped. He came on the colt, the foal of a donkey, an unbroken offspring that had not been ridden before, who had not left its mother before, and he mounts that donkey, and in a very miraculous way, the donkey allows him to go into the city of Jerusalem, leaving its mother, and uh, if you've ever been around a farm where the young animals are taken from the mother, that is often a very, very difficult time. And the donkey still responds the way the Lord desired. And the reason is we know he's carrying the God of creation. And when Jesus comes into the city, he doesn't come as a conquering hero. He comes humbly. He comes quietly. He comes peacefully. And he enters the city. And from that point on, things don't happen the way people had expected. They were expecting him to start making some moves against the Romans. Instead of that, he very quietly enters into a series of events that from the human point of view are are very, very uh, disturbing. Um, One of the things he does, he, he curses a fig tree because it had leaves, but it had no fruit. And what they didn't understand was he was making a reference to them of themselves. They looked like they knew God, but they weren't bearing any fruit for the glory of God. He went to the temple and he drove out the money changers and the people who were exchanging that money for their own personal profit and selling the sacrificial animals, and he drove them out. And uh, then he went into a garden and he prayed with such agony that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The week that Jesus spent prior to his crucifixion had to be a very, very difficult week for him. A week of tribulation, a week of trial, 
a week of disappointment, and ultimately a week of incredible suffering. We know what that led to. We know that as this Friday comes, we observe the Good Friday. And again, it's from the human point of view that we look at that because it's good for us, but it was a terrible time of suffering and pain. And he suffers as no man has ever suffered, not merely because of the physical pain that he was experiencing, but the spiritual pain that he was going through and crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he suffered in that way as no man has ever suffered before. And then he died. And a great transaction took place where he cried, it is finished. And the sacrifice and the penalty and the payment for our sin was made through that sacrifice. It could only be appropriated one way, and that is through faith. And Paul is going to remind us of that here in this fifth chapter of Romans. And once we embrace Christ through faith, then we have the hope of the resurrection. Because when Christ rose, he proved to all mankind that the Father had accepted his sacrifice for the sins of the world. And as the first Adam plunged us into sin, the second Adam provided for redemption and forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. So we rejoice. We, sometimes we, we act, and I won't say act, we, we reflect, and that has a, a, an influence and a bearing upon us where we look back at the great sacrifice that Christ paid, the, the price he paid, and the sacrifice in offering himself. But we are also, you can't look at that without looking to Sunday when he rose from the dead. And so the sorrow we would experience because of this, the, the suffering our sin caused Christ is always overshadowed by the glory of his resurrection. But he taught us something very, very important that is crucial for you and me to understand. And that is that just as our Savior suffered and went through tribulation, his people will too. We suffer, we experience tribulation because of our identification with Adam. As by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men in that all sinned. We were in Adam when he fell, and his fall caused us to fall. We would have done the same thing had we given the same had we been given the, the same um, opportunity, <laughs> the same temptation, as it were, uh, and and we would have done the same. And we're identified with him, and as a result of that, death came upon all mankind, and and a curse fell, and we suffer because of that. But here's something that takes us even beyond that. When we are identified with the second Adam through faith in Christ, the second Adam, we are destined to go through periods of suffering and tribulation 
that extend beyond the mere suffering and tribulation we have simply because of our humanity and our identification with Adam. If you will look back with, what, uh, with me to what Paul said here in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to just take a quick look here at verse 3 because of what this begins to uh, reveal to us. Notice he says, uh, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, what he's telling us is this. Just as Christ was glorying in an appropriate sense through the tribulations and the sufferings that he went through, so his people going through tribulations and suffering need to understand that God's intent is that we glory in that suffering. Now that, that does not seem to register well with me because from a human point of view, I do not like to suffer. But Jesus suffered, the apostles suffered, the early church suffered, our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world today are suffering horribly. What makes us think that we would escape suffering? We're identified with Adam, and we are identified with Christ. And both of those relationships bring upon us the, the flood, the waves of tribulation and suffering that Paul is talking about here. And yet he says this. He says, instead of facing that tribulation that comes your way with sadness and with sorrow, glory in it. Don't glory because you're suffering but glory in the suffering because there is a reason that that has come your way and it can bring you to the place of looking at that suffering with a very, very optimistic outlook. He goes on to say this, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing, and when... He expresses the idea of, a, of a, a, a thorough knowledge and understanding. He is telling us, you know why these things are happening. And then he goes on to tell us why. So that we certainly do know. Why is it that believers in Jesus Christ can glory in the suffering and be optimistic in that suffering when we trust Christ as our Savior. And I must indicate once again that this is not working. So, fellas, if you could... Did you do that or did I do that? Pardon me? You did it. Okay, can you do it? Because it's, it's not changing for me. All right? I hate to do that to you week after week. We have to get this taken care of. Now, going back to our attention and drawing our attention back here again... Why is it that we can be optimistic when we're going through times of, of trial and times of tribulation? Notice, if you will, go back to the first verse of Romans chapter 5, where it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why can we be optimistic when we are in in dire straits, suffering, going through times of tribulation. And the reason is because we've been accepted by God. Now, right off the bat, 
that might not seem to really strike us with a great deal of force. But think about this. Think about the number of times that when you in your life have experienced something that perhaps has been very, very unpleasant, and what happens when your friends turn their back on you? Uh, Sometimes that happens within families. Um, Sometimes children will turn their back on their parents, and the parents feel rejected. And sometimes parents will turn their backs on their children, and the children feel rejected. And then sometimes one mate will turn his or her back on the other mate, and that mate will feel rejected. Who knows why? Whatever the problem is, there comes this sense of being rejected and forsaken. Beyond that, you probably have friends who have forsaken you. Uh, Sometimes people who have uh, a significant amount of this world's means. Uh, they, They will have friends gather around them. And, of course, the the question always is raised, why are you my friend? And then that wealthy individual loses that wealth, and guess what happens? All of a sudden, the friends begin to evaporate, and they're gone, and you begin to understand that it's not because of the friendship that they had with you, it's because of the possessions that you had, and they would be your friend while all of that remained true. When Paul says to us that we have been accepted by God, he means we have been accepted without ever fearing rejection. I I feel sad for people who believe that there can come a time when God can reject them and take away from them the hope that they have in Christ. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that we will never be separated from the love of our God, from his acceptance, when we are born into his family, when we are declared righteous, as Paul said there using the word justified, and he tells us that we are now in a peace relationship with him. And here is what he is saying. There is nothing you and I could do that would ever cause God to turn his back on us or reject us. We are always his. We are always accepted by him. And let me throw this into the mix just so you understand. That acceptance that you have does not depend upon your obedience Did a little red flag go up for any of you? Sure. And, and, and let me just try to guess what the red flag would be. Does that mean that if you uh, willfully disobey the Lord, he is still accepting you and, and you are still at peace with him? That's exactly what I'm saying. We have a tendency to believe that our behavior determines whether or not God has accepted us. And will continue to. And the fact of the matter is, it isn't our behavior. It is our identification with Christ. 
And that is an identification that according to the scriptures can never be taken away from us even when we really blow it. Do you understand? The reason I'm telling you this is because there are times the suffering we experience, the trials that we go through, are the product of decisions we've made or behavior that we have exercised. And there can be a lot of problems that come. There can be tremendous natural consequences that follow our behavior. We, I mean, believers can spend the rest of their lives in jail for something they've done and be going through a terrible time of tribulation. But that does not change the relationship that we have with God. That relationship remains constant because we have been brought to a place of peace with God based upon the justification that we receive in Christ. Do you understand how Paul builds the argument from where we are in Christ to the place where we can even be optimistic about the sufferings that we go through? Because sometimes that suffering is for the purpose of correcting our behavior and bringing us into line with doing the things we ought to do. But our behavior does not determine our acceptance before God. Now here's the question. Does that mean that I can accept Christ as my Savior and then go on sinning? Well, no. As long as you understand what you mean by go on sinning. The Lord tells us that if the characterizing element of our life is sinful behavior, let's say I'm a thief and I accept, I I profess Christ as Savior and I have supposedly trusted him, I have supposedly invited him into my heart and into my life. But I continue to steal because quite frankly, it's a whole lot easier than working. And, and I, can, I can get the things that I want right now. Let me tell you right up front, if that is the ongoing pattern of your life, you have never been regenerated. You have perhaps gone through some motions. You might have even said the sinner's prayer. But it does not mean that you have been regenerated. When you are regenerated, not only do you become a child of God through faith in Christ and have a standing of perfection before him because of your identification with him, clothed in his righteousness, but there is a new element of life that enters that cannot allow you to continue in sin in an unbroken pattern without the sense of absolute rebellion against Christ. And so a true believer is going to have to deal with issues even if they do things that are wrong. Could a believer kill someone, murder someone? Absolutely. Given the right circumstances, a believer could find him or herself facing a situation where they'd take another person's life by virtue of their own angry response or their brokenheartedness that would lead to the taking of another person's life. I'm thinking of an illustration that I I really don't want to share with you. It can happen. But you're still God's child. And you may have to spend the rest of your life in prison. You may even be executed. But you're still his child. Why? Because we are at peace 
with God. Doesn't mean everything we do is what he wants us to do. But what that assures me of is this. I may never make a stumble or a fall that is that extreme. But there are things that come into my life that I know are not pleasing to the Lord. And as a result of that, they're not even pleasing to me. I I don't want to do the things that I ought not do, but I still wind up on occasion doing them. When we get to Romans chapter 7, you will see Paul explain that in detail. And there are things that I wish I didn't do, and then I look to the Lord and I say, Oh Lord, please accept me back. I believe in Jesus, please save me. No, no. I say to the Father, My Father, you still are, I have failed you, and what I did was sin, and it was wrong, and by your grace, I will do, I will try not to do that again. (laughs) And I always have to throw the word try in, because there could be occasions where I'll do the same thing again. Jesus gave Peter and the other disciples a very good illustration of this. How often should I forgive a brother who sins against me? Seven times? That was the Jewish tradition. You got seven. No, the Lord says 70 times seven. He wasn't talking about 490. He was talking about whenever a brother comes and confesses his sin, you forgive him. Doesn't matter how many times. When we go through suffering, it isn't because we have been rejected by God. People reject us, but God never does. Go on and look further in that same passage there in the early chapters and notice what it says there in verse 2. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace. We enter the arena of grace when we trust Christ as Savior, which is like Falling into the pool. In other words, we not only experience the grace of God that reaches down to save us and to give us forgiveness and life, but we fall into an arena, a pool of grace that is a promise of God saying to us, I will provide for you all you need when you are going through a time of tribulation and a time of suffering. Please hear me out. Over the years, I have had people who have been going through terrible times of of tribulation and suffering. I'm using the two words synonymously. Uh, Please understand that. When they're going through this time of suffering, I have heard statements like this. Pastor, I can't take it anymore. Now, some of you may have been in situations where you have felt like that. I can't take it anymore. And I leave that conversation not with sadness, but with a great deal of optimism. 
Why? Even though the person going through the time of suffering does not grasp it yet, what they don't understand is when they accepted Christ as their Savior, they were introduced into an arena of grace that God says will always be sufficient to see you through the difficulties and the trials you're going through. Now, I'm not asking you to admit to this, but within your heart, you'll, you'll know if it's true. If you have ever come to a point in your life when you have said this, I just can't take it anymore. I can't keep going. I would ask you to look back and find out, did you take it some more? Did you keep going? You probably wouldn't be here today if you didn't. See, what I know is this. God's grace is always going to be sufficient to see you through whatever trouble you go through, whatever trial you experience, whatever suffering you might be embracing. You have a pool of his grace from which to draw, which he promises will be there. And sometimes, here's what the problem is. People believe that his grace will be insufficient to meet the extent of the trial through which they're going. This is just so great. I can't, I can't take another day of this. And part of the reason is because we haven't ever faced a trial of that nature before, so we doubt whether or not God's grace will be sufficient. Or... It could be this, that the trial that I'm facing at this moment is so great, I have never experienced anything like this. Now my question is, will the grace that God promises to get me through the hard times be available? Will it even be there? I don't know that it's going to show up. Does this all make sense? Maybe not yet. What else can I say to help you understand this. You will never face anything beyond which God's grace will keep you and will be sufficient to give you the strength to get through it. In all of the times that I have heard people make that statement, I can't take this anymore. I have never seen anyone not take it anymore. Does that, does that help? They all take it. They all take it. Why? Because God's grace shows up just when you need it, and it shows up in enough strength and in enough power to see that today you can take it. Don't worry about tomorrow. When you get to tomorrow, the grace will be there to help you take it, and the next day the grace will be there to help you take it. Now, let me just throw this out. If I have a person say to me, I can't take it anymore, and I sense that this is not an issue of their ability to understand the grace of God being sufficient, that it's maybe more of a mental issue with which they're dealing, then I have a different response. Because now I don't want to see someone who has perhaps a mental weakness or some sort of an emotional breakdown do harm to themselves. So can I put that out to you? 
so that you understand this isn't just a a catch-all that I walk out with a smile on my face knowing God's grace is sufficient. But when it's merely a spiritual battle that is going on and the person is just afraid that God's grace isn't going to be enough, here's what I know. It's going to be enough. It's going to be enough. You can do it. All right, if you're not with me to this point, see, I, I, I get a lot of feedback as I look at your faces, and that last point just doesn't seem to have registered, and maybe I just didn't present it well. So let's go on to another reason why you can be optimistic through your tribulations, through your sufferings, through the difficulties of life. A third one begins to emerge when we get to the last part of verse 2, where it says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm sorry? I have to go beyond that. No, I don't. That's it. And rejoice in the hope. Yes, that's it. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, here's here's what this is saying. God's capable of providing deliverance at any time. In other words, when you're going through a time of suffering, have you asked the Lord to deliver you? That's kind of the natural thing to do when you're suffering. If you're going through a physical issue, don't you try to escape the suffering? I go to the doctor, and, and I'll take antibiotics, or I will take whatever medication I need to to try to deal with whatever the problem is. That is the natural inclination, and I don't believe the Lord objects to that at all because Christ made it very clear he was in favor of healing because he healed a lot of people. And so you do your best to deal with taking away the suffering, but sometimes that stuff doesn't help. Maybe I have to have surgery now. And maybe that doesn't help. And so the suffering might be relieved, but then it might not be. And there are times in which we face suffering that does not find relief, and our response can be something like this. God, why would you let this happen to me? Or God... I never thought that you would allow anything like this to enter my life. And we become embittered. And on occasion, people will, in their own thinking, walk away from God. By the way, I'm going to throw us back to what we had said about earlier. Even if you walk away from God and you're one of his children, he does not walk away from you. Okay? Do you all get that? And, and you may have done that. You may be doing it right now. You, you may have done it in the past. But let me encourage you with this. You may have walked away from him, but he never let you out of his sight. He was there all the time. And when you decide to come back, he's right there. Open your heart. He's right there. Now, having said that, the bitterness and the abandonment that can happen in a person's experience is often the natural result of suffering. But the Lord always holds this promise out before us. The promise is this. I can take away that suffering at any moment. 
Do you understand that the Lord can remove suffering in our lives instantaneously if he chooses to do that? The Apostle Paul, uh, in another passage of Scripture, was talking about the suffering that he was going through as a result of his carrying the gospel to different cities and towns. And you remember how sometimes the people reacted to what he was doing? They, they, would, uh, they would mock him. Sometimes they would physically abuse him. They would give him beatings. And on an occasion, he was stoned. Um, then Paul says this. All of those things that happened, guess what? The Lord delivered me out of them all. I mean, he went on to another town, and now he's delivered, and the suffering's over. And just like that, there's this quick deliverance. And you say in your heart, Lord, I know you can do that. Would you please do that for me? And then you realize that the Lord can take a different approach where he is very, very slow in bringing deliverance. A fellow by the name of Job understood that quite well. Lord, why am I going? I have lost all of my possessions. I've lost all my family except for my wife. I know why you laughed. (laughs) She is saying to the Lord, curse God and die, you know. But, but by the way, do you notice he, he didn't forsake her? He just said, stop being so foolish. Um, I'm not going to do that. And for however long he went through that period, he was wishing, Lord, won't you give me some relief? Not only is my family gone and my possessions are gone, but I have been inflicted with this incredible amount of boils all over my body and I'm scraping my body to try to to get these things popped and putting ashes on them to try to get some relief and it's going on and on and he's got these friends that show up who add to the problem by by emotionally attacking him and and accusing him of his failures spiritually and it goes on and it goes on And it goes on. And then one day the Lord says, now, now's the time. I'm going to take care of this. And he brings deliverance. And the possessions he had were all returned. He was given the exact same amount of children. By the way, all the possessions that returned were double what he had before. The children were the exact same number as he had before because now... You understand that that, the children he had were doubled. Half of them lived here, half of them were already in paradise. Um, And his health is restored and he is elevated again to a level of very high credibility and honor. So the Lord can do it quickly or he can do it slowly, take some time, But then here's the one that rubs us. Sometimes the Lord doesn't give deliverance until we're home with him. And we go through the remainder of our life going through a period of suffering and trial and tribulation and it is not going to be relieved until 
we get home. The writer of Psalms said, the righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So there will be deliverance, but it may not be till you get home. But it's coming. It's coming. When I think of this, there's one name that just jumps out at me. Johnny Erickson Tata. Do you hear her on the radio in the mornings? She usually has a little piece somewhere around, what is it, 6.30, quarter to 7 on uh, the Moody radio station. And she just has a little piece, but it is always so upbeat and so encouraging. And here is this woman who from here down cannot move, cannot do anything. And yet she is absolutely confident that God has made no mistake, that his grace is sufficient to supply her need every day, and that she can face this event in her life, which was a diving accident when she was a teenager. So she knew what it was like to walk and to have the use of her hands and to be active and to be vibrant. And now she is set aside for the rest of her life. But she's going to be delivered. And when trials come your way and they appear that they will never be taken care of, you're being deceived. They will be taken care of, but maybe not until you go into the presence of the Lord. We don't like that. But we will be delivered from them all. Is that not good? Can't you be encouraged by that? And if the Lord chooses, he can give you relief now. He can give you relief. Now. And he can give you relief there. But it's coming. Then he adds to that a little bit more for our understanding when he tells us this. Down here in verse uh, three, where it says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. The reason we can rejoice in our tribulations, rejoice in our sufferings, is because every single suffering issue Every single tribulation that comes our way has a purpose. There's a reason for it. Now, it may be a matter of chastisement, where the Lord is saying, listen, you have been really disobedient. You're not, getting the, you're not giving your attention to what's going on. I may have to spank you a little bit. And, and you'll know. You'll know if there's been something you've been doing you ought not do and suddenly something comes into your life and you know it's the Lord saying, look, I can't let my child continue in that direction. And if you continue in this direction, I'm going to have to bring you home. But I I still have things for you to do here. So listen, let's go out to the woodshed, get some wax, and, and come out now and start behaving the right way. Okay? You like that idea with children? Don't you guys wish we could still whack kids at school? It, 
it would really improve behavior. There's a couple of you I would love to whack. (laughs) When I was a teacher, we used to paddle kids, and I want to tell you, it really improved behavior. It was great. Not only that, it was fun. (laughs) Because I was on the right side of the paddle before I was on the wrong side. So don't think that I'm being self-righteous. That's not the case. But notice what, what he talks about here. He says, there is a purpose for which I am bringing this into your life. And even if it is not for the purpose of discipline, I am bringing this into your life because I want things produced within you that are going to enhance your identification with me. Not make your identification with me secure. No, it will make you more of the person you should be considering the fact that you're a child of God. Is there a certain way that a child of God ought to act? Yes, there is. We're a child of the king. My father is the king. And I'm his child, and I ought to act that way. And sadly, I don't naturally do that. And there are weaknesses within me that keep me from doing that the way I should. So the Lord says, well, let me tell you something. I'm going to allow these difficult times to come into your life in order to develop you. And look at what he says the development is. Notice there are four different things there. Let me identify these four things with you and give you a definition for all four of them. The first thing that we deal with is the matter of tribulations, or as I said, used synonymously as suffering. What is suffering? It is distress brought about by outward circumstances. Distress, some of you are writing this down, so I'm going to repeat this again. Distress brought about by outward circumstances. It is a picture of a wine press. For those of us who are fundamental Baptists, it is a picture of a grape juice press. And it's the idea of filling the press with the grapes and then turning the crank and pressing those grapes down and putting pressure on them until they all pop. And they start giving the juice that we're waiting for and that will be a refreshment. And so he says, that's what suffering is. When you allow that, To work in your life the way God intends, it is going to produce perseverance. Perseverance is a steadfast constancy and endurance. Let me give you an illustration of this. Um, We're probably more familiar with butterflies being in the area that we are, being this butterfly world around us here. But there is a moth that's called the emperor moth. And the little cocoon that it resides in, in its effort to become all that it is supposed to be, is a flask-shaped cocoon. And when it's time for the moth to emerge from that cocoon, it comes up through the narrow part 
of that cocoon, and it fights literally for hours, struggling, fighting. Oh, it seems like this is never going to end. Sometimes people have seen that happening, and they've watched the moth struggling, and they've cut the top of that, and the moth comes out, and it can't fly. The belief is that it takes the trial and the effort and the energy of coming out through the top of that flask to get the juices flowing into the veins in the wings that give it the strength to fly. And the Lord says there are times you just have to be patient and I will develop that as I let you go through the difficult times. Do you understand? This is for your good. You can't fly if I take away the pressure and the tension. That then is going to lead to to a third element, which is character. That's tried integrity. I'll, I'll give you this short definition. Tried integrity. It's the development of who we are to the point that what we do in the dark is not different than the things we do in the light. person of character is going to do what's right all the time, whether it's to his advantage or not, whether other people are watching or not. And God wants us to be people of character, not just people of appearance. Character, which then results in hope. Hope is a settled confidence. Sometimes when people use the word hope, they're talking about an unsure anticipation. But the hope that the Bible speaks of is a settled confidence that says this, whatever God is bringing into my life, he has brought into my life for the purpose of making me the person he wants me to be, and I am absolutely confident he is not making any mistake, he is allowing me to go through this because he is developing me into the person that he wants me to be, and I'm for it. I can actually rejoice because I know this is for my good. Finally, he tells us in the fifth verse, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom, who has given to us the promised resources that God gives us are to deal with the sufferings that come our way, and here he tells us what they are. It's the love of God that is poured out upon our hearts. Do you know, when you know that somebody truly loves you, your confidence and trust in them accelerates dramatically. Somebody could tell you a criticism of of something you have done, and you will take that with a grain of salt and it won't mean anything. But if a loved one comes to you and says, you know, we really need to address something, and they tell you what it is, and you know that they are looking out for your best, you can say, you know what? 
you're absolutely right. That's, that's something I need to deal with. When God allows difficulties to come into our lives, we can look to him with this absolute assurance. He loves me more than I love myself. He will not make any mistakes in allowing troubles, tribulations, sufferings to come my way. It's never a mistake. And in addition to the love that he gives, he puts within us a power that is far greater than anything you and I have ever fully grasped. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God living within us who gives us the strength and the capability to go through every issue of trial and suffering that God allows to come our way. Do you understand? You and I are going to face tribulations we're going to face suffering. And all of that is still part of God's plan to develop us into the people he wants us to be. Are you able to join Paul and say this? With all of the suffering that I do, God, I rejoice because you are at work within me. Can you say that? That's why you can look forward with optimism to all of the tribulations and all of the suffering that comes your way. God is good all the time. Let's stand. Father, what a privilege to look at this portion of your word and realize that you have given us this passage to encourage our hearts, to strengthen us, to develop us into the people you want us to be. I pray that we would work with you in that endeavor for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray, amen. God bless you.